For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and for business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am very excited about today's show. Today, we're going to dig deep into how to optimize your website for mobile users with Greg Hickman, who is the host of the Mobile Mixed podcast. About a month ago, uh, we did a podcast on uh, mobile marketing, episode number 41 with Jamie Turner. It was very popular, and it spurred me to want to talk some more about it, and that's why today with Greg, we're going to go deep, and you're absolutely going to love it. AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app, and happy listening. Also in this podcast, I'm going to share tips on how to launch a new product. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and share that right now. Here's a word from our tour guide. So if you've been listening for the last few weeks, this is the third installment on a series that I've been doing on how to launch a product or a company. And what I've been doing is I've been using this new project that we're going to be launching this summer called My Kids Adventures as an example. And my hope is that not only will you learn about this new thing that I've got going on, but more importantly, that you will take some some take-home tips from the processes that I'm using to get this brand new thing off the ground. Just to briefly describe what it is, My Kids Adventures is an online magazine for parents who are busy and want to have fun adventures with their kids who are maybe 5 to 12 years old. That's the gist of what it is. Now, uh, in the last two episodes, I want to review briefly. Number one is setting your vision. And in that episode, I talked about the importance of putting together a vision statement that you and or your team can rally around. And then in the last episode, I talked about the value of testing your message before you go ahead and have your product or service or company ready to launch. And I talked about doing that with a video. And I shared with you about this video that I put together and how it created a crazy response. Well, what I want to talk about today is an extension of what I talked about last time, which is how to actually find talent. If you're launching a company or a website, chances are pretty good that you want to develop relationships with people that may be involved. Maybe there are people that will help you get the word out. Maybe there are people that are going to contribute content. If it's a blog, for example, like My Kids Adventures is. And in order to do that, a lot of times we tend to rely on the trusted relationships that we've built. And I even wrote about this in my book, Launch. And there's a lot of value in that. But what I have discovered is that there's also a lot of value in just throwing things out there and seeing who comes forward based on, uh, for example, a video like what I did. And just to remind you, um, we created this video and we directed people to go to a particular website, socialmediaexaminer.com slash kids. And on that website used to be a form that says, I want to help. And more than 100 people filled out that form. And it was very simple. It just asked for their name, their email address, and I think kind of an open-ended question about how they might be able to help. And we got all these um, emails coming in off of that list. And what we ended up doing was we 
moved it all into a Google shared spreadsheet. And someone on my team began the process of vetting everybody uh, based on what they uh, said on the list. Like some people just said, don't know how I can help, but I want to help. Other people said, I would love to do this or I would love to do that. And what we were able to do based on the response we got from people was to kind of categorize them. And then what we did was we took this list of over 100 people and identified maybe 60 to 70 of these people. And then we literally just had five different folks on our team schedule phone calls with these people. Now, this is the part that might seem totally like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. That's a serious time commitment. But we dedicated having 15 to 30 minute calls with these people. I personally had 10 of these calls and uh, a number of other people on our team had more, some had less. But in the end, we spoke to 60 or 70 people. Now, I got to tell you, it's magical when you actually get on the phone with people that say, I want to get involved because of lots of reasons. But one of the reason is one of the reasons is you can find out what they thought about what little teaser you put out there, how they interpreted it, how excited and energized they are about it. And I gotta tell you, that's like fuel for someone who's looking to start something. And it was really, really huge. So um one little tip that I, I have for you is when you're talking about trying to schedule like ten calls with different people, it can become complicated. And a tool that we use to simplify it is called timetrade.com. With timetrade.com, it's not the easiest tool in the world to work with, but it totally does the trick. You can schedule, you can set up a time frame. Like you can say, I'm available Monday from three o'clock on, Tuesday uh, from nine to 11.30. And you can set up all these frames of time that you are available. And then you can say, okay, these calls will be 15 minutes long um, or 30 minutes long. And you can set up all the blocks of time and you can send out an email to people and you can say, thank you so much for your interest in getting involved with my kids adventures. I would love to chat with you. Would you please follow this link and go ahead and schedule a time to speak with me next week? And the response was crazy. Um, Very, very rapidly, people went ahead and began scheduling time with me. And it was great because I could just quickly go in there and see what time my calls were with these people. They were automatically sent reminder emails. It was, it was really awesome. And it really did the trick. Now, um, it also, the way it works for the consumer is very simple. They just fill a little form and they can put their phone number in there and then you call them. There's other options as well. But when I actually get on the phone with these people, one of the first questions I asked, and this is what you want to ask when you're talking to people that are interested in helping you with something that may be strangers and they may be people that know who you are because maybe you're a podcaster or maybe you have a blog and they've been following you. So one of the first questions I would, well, actually I would first say thank you so much for your um, interest in the, my kids adventures project. Super excited. Um, more than a hundred people step forward to want to be involved. I told them that because I wanted them to know that there's a lot of interest. And then I would say what resonated with you and I would just sit back and listen. It was amazing to hear the different people's responses to the little segments in the video that I that I put together. Then I would say here's a little bit more about what the project is. Then I would say this is what we're looking for. And uh, in, in sales lingo, this is like asking for the sale, even though we're not selling anything, but we are persuading them to be part of something. Uh, Number one, we're looking for content creators. Number two, we're looking for people to spread the word. And number three, we're looking for contacts that you may have with others that you think can help us create content. Now, the helping spread the word is like a gimme. And what I would say to people is, hey, you know, I know not everyone's a content creator. Maybe you can just help us spread the word. And everybody said, I will help spread the word. And that gave them an out if for whatever reason they didn't feel comfortable creating content. And then, you know, what we were really doing is looking for talent to write articles for our magazine. So I would ask them, okay, well, if you're a content creator, this is kind of what we're looking for. Like some of the people I spoke to talked about doing photo scavenger hunts in the park using their iPhones and having their children find in 15 minutes as many things that are read as possible. You know, and these are just kind of a few of the creative ideas I've been hearing. What are some of your ideas so that we can, you know, um, kind of figure out whether or not you're a good fit on the content side. 
And then, of course, the contact side was really amazing how some people said, oh, yeah, I know somebody here or I know somebody there. I know somebody that wrote this book and I can introduce you. And that just kind of allowed, you know, really great stuff to happen. It's almost like going to a cocktail party, except it's happening the dedicated period of time. Then I would tell people, thank you so much. Somebody from our team will be in touch. So um, at the end of the day, um, the key lesson here is to actually schedule time to talk on the phone or via Skype with people that might be interested in volunteering to help with whatever your cause is or whatever your you know, site is or whatever you're you know, looking for volunteers to do. By actually making that human connection, it's a big, big deal. And you know what? I was really tempted to just send out an email and have it all happen over email. But I, now that I did it this way, there's nothing more exciting than actually having that human-to-human interaction. Some of the benefits of it was um, not only do we make strong connections and people appreciated hearing from me live, nearly everyone agreed to help spread the word. And it was really interesting to hear what people's take was on that little two-minute video. Um, and I did you know, discover kind of what it is we're trying to do and what it is we're not trying to do based on the feedback that I was having with a lot of these people. So it was almost like market research in some regards. But even more exciting was when when our team was able to come together and debrief afterwards, it was so incredibly motivating and inspiring to hear from everyone on the team, the amazing, talented people that stepped forward and said they want to be part of this. And I feel very strongly that if I did not recommend that our team actually get on the phone and talk to these people, I just don't think we would have had the commitment. So in the next installment, What I want to share with you is how we went from getting the verbal commitment with these people to actually getting them to write content for my kids' adventures. So quick take-home lesson is talk to people if you can via Skype or on the phone and listen to what they have to say. It's absolutely priceless. If you want to learn a little bit more about this project, visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash kids. You can watch the video. You can see some of the stuff that I've been talking about. Okay, last thing before we get over to the interview is do want to encourage you to leave a voicemail on our voicemail hotline if you have a question about social media marketing, blogging, and or podcasting that you would like me to answer in a future episode. You can do that at socialmediaexaminer.com slash voicemail. So with that, let's transition over to Greg Hickman, and we're going to talk about some really awesome stuff about how to have your website optimized for mobile users. Let's transition over there right now. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Greg Hickman. If you don't know who Greg is, he's the founder of mobilemixed.com, which is a website that specializes in training marketers in none other than mobile marketing. He also hosts the podcast by the same name, Mobile Mixed. And Greg also advises big brands on mobile marketing, and some of his clients include AT&T, Electronic Arts, Cabela's, and Sony Pictures. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Truly appreciate it. So um, if you listen to the podcast regularly, um, about a month ago or so, we introduced the concept of mobile marketing. And today, Greg and I are going to explore a little deeper into mobile marketing. And we're going to specifically focus on how to optimize uh, your website or your blog for mobile users. So, Greg, um, let's step back for a second and ask this question: Why is it important that the marketers that are listening right now think about the unique needs of mobile users? Uh, well, one, it's a great question, and and two, really, it's you have to start thinking about where your customer or your audience is actually coming from, and really, with the way that we consume content as just consumers in general. You know, whether it be email, social, you know, using search or even listening to a podcast like this, kind of digesting content and learning. So much of that is now happening from a mobile device. So, you know, their first entry point to you or their first contact with you as a as a business or a brand is very likely to be on a mobile phone. So you want that experience to be, you know, obviously very friendly and optimized to whatever device they're on. Yeah. And, you know, um, just the pure number of smart, do you have any stats on the latest number of smartphone users that are out there right now? Uh, depending on who you're talking to, it's, you know, at least in the United States, it's around like 53% um, of the United States is, has a smartphone. 
Yeah, I mean, so that's that's a pretty big deal. I mean, and if you think about that, um, that means that probably about half of your customers or more, I would imagine, are using a smartphone. And what's really interesting about this, when I think through this, um, people oftentimes use their smartphone to check their email. Uh, they often use their smartphone to check their social networks like Facebook or LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And if they're receiving an email from you or they see a Facebook update, uh, and they click on it, and for whatever reason it doesn't work, uh, that's a real problem, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you think about, I think email is sort of something that's kind of underrated when it comes to mobile, or at least overlooked, because I don't know if, you know, I'm sure many listeners can relate to this this exact scenario. You You wake up to your phone, which is also your alarm, and you unfortunately grab it and you look look to your email. And if you have an iPhone, for all the iPhone listeners, you click that edit button and you see all the little circles right down the left side. You tap as many as you think are irrelevant at that point in the, mo- in the morning and you delete all of them. You hardly look at the email subject lines, who, the, who it's from. You're just trying to you know, kind of filter what's getting through to you by the time you actually really sit down and digest your email. So, I mean... I know everyone I talk to always like, yep, that's exactly how I start my morning. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's that's super important, especially if, you know, you're a, a big emailer. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, at the end of the day, um, uh, the fact is that that is your first, as a marketer, that is your first salvo. If you do send an email and if it arrives in the morning, that's that's pretty much your first opportunity to, to be in front of your audience and chances are they're going to be mobile. Uh, because even though they likely have a computer at their desk, or a laptop, or even an office that they go into, the fact that they have that device with them that they can choose to click on or not click on. And at the end of the day, a lot of us are, are, are delivering people to a website. And that's really what we're going to talk about today, is making sure that when they arrive at your website or your blog, that it is easy for them to consume. Now, uh, the next question that naturally is in my head, Greg, is um, how can we tell if mobile users are even coming to our website right now, whether or not it's optimized? Sure. Well, I mean, the first thing, if you're using any sort of analytics software, um, like Google Analytics, you know, which is obviously free, um, you know, that'll, that'll show you, at least with your current audience, how, how many of those folks are um, coming to the site from some sort of smartphone device or tablet, and it'll actually break out um, by spe- uh, specific device. So, um, you know, that's definitely the first thing you should look at. If you have that in place, you'll get a good idea of the overall percentage of traffic coming to your site that is from a mobile device. Most likely, I would guess that it's going to be anywhere from, you know, 20, even up to 50% um, of your overall visits to your site are coming from a mobile device. So that's the first place. Uh, the second, I would say, is depending on your email service provider, um, some of them will offer insights into how many of the email opens are coming from um, coming from mobile. So that's also a good indicator, again, especially if you're a big emailer. And one thing that I actually really like doing now is looking at uh, you know looking at the Facebook wall, for example. And if you have a lot of engagement on your social platforms, um, in in all the comments, if say you get you know hundreds of comments or you know however many comments, start looking because at the bottom of that comment where it says you know the time and date that they that person actually made a comment, it usually will say if it's via mobile or not. So um, you can start seeing if people from a social perspective are engaging with you from you know on Facebook, on Twitter, from mobile devices too. So those are kind of three ways. Well, and, you know, chances are pretty good. Everybody listening right now does have Google Analytics on their website. And before this uh, interview, I went ahead and took a look and I've never really um, looked at our mobile statistics and uh, pretty shocking. 186,000 people in the last 30 days have visited uh, Social Media Examiner um, using a mobile device. And while you were talking, I didn't even realize I could look at the devices. It's pretty yeah. shocking. Like the Apple iPhone is 85,000. The iPad is mm-hmm. 46,000. And the Samsung Galaxy S3 is 5,700. Um, and it's crazy. I mean, it pretty much is Apple. Now, yeah. have you found that to be the case, um, generally speaking, on most sites? Or is it highly variable depending on the audience? I think it's definitely depends on the audience. Uh, I mean, most of the people that that I end up talking to and you know that pr- are probably listening to your show will probably have very similar, uh, very similar statistics. Um, but you know, I definitely have talked to some brands where uh, you know their users are like they know their users are Android. 
Um, actually, I was at a conference um, earlier this year, and um, Miller Coors, the head of, head of mobile from Miller Coors, was speaking, and he they launched um, like Android specific solutions because they just knew after looking at who visits their site um, and kind of polling their audience. Um, you know, kind of reaching out to customers, actually talking to customers that they knew their audience more likely has an Android device. So, you know, it really kind of depends on who your who your what your brand is. So, definitely look into that. And obviously, asking your customer is always a fair game. Yeah, and you know what's what's interesting here is the uh, the number of iPad users or tablet users, and this does um, kind of prompt my next question here. Um, tablet users, I'm assuming are couch people generally, right? I mean, you know, maybe they're at home at night with, with the tablet on the couch, uh, since, uh, said a different way, how do we need to think differently about these tablet users versus, you know, the mobile phone users? Sure. That's a, a really good question. And I actually think, um, even to back up one step is to say, you know, there's a lot of, I think, misconception about um, even how people with smartphones use their smartphone. Um, I was reading a study uh, the other the other day that has, I think it said something like 68% of smartphone usage is actually from the home also. So um, mobile necessarily doesn't mean on the go. And, you know, again, look, you have to look at your own customers and your own brand and where people might be interacting with you to kind of really determine how much that's going to affect you. Um, but just because it's a smartphone doesn't mean they're, when they do connect to you that they're always on the go. They very well could be home as well. Uh, but I think the tablet experience you know, you're definitely going to see, um, you know, more usage in the evening hours, you know, kind of as that second screen experience while you are sitting there on the couch, um, you know, know, multi-screen experience. You know, you could be on Twitter or what have you uh, while, you know, while you're watching a movie or sort of watching a movie since you're also on your, on your iPad. But, um, you know, looking at the, you know, even in Google Analytics, you can start seeing, um, you know, time of day that those people are hitting your site with those specific devices and start seeing if, you know, maybe all your tablet usage comes in the night and, you know, then you might correlate that to potential, um, you know, sit on the couch, couch surfing sort of thing. But the interesting thing that I've seen is that, um, tablets, well, one are not only growing super fast, you know, when it comes to adoption, but the demographic of tablet users is actually getting a lot older as well. So, I mean, I even look at my father who, you know, always wanted to have the latest and greatest computer. And now he has, you know, one of the nicest iMacs out there, but he still now never uses it. And he's on his iPad and emailing me from his iPad all the time. And he's 65, you know, so uh, I think, you know, that generation is actually, you're going to start seeing adopt iPads a whole lot more. Okay, so um, let's get into this a little bit. Um, I want to come back. I'm going to want to come back to the tablet um, sure. thing in a little bit, but I want to step back and I want to ask you: um, Where should marketers start when it comes to making their website or their blog um, friendly to mobile users? What's kind of the entry level stuff to start thinking about? Sure. So you really have a few options um, when it comes to you know making a mobile friendly site, and I think it actually depends on what type of business you are, um, or at least that if you're you know a marketer and you're building a site for your client, what type of business or site they have. Um, so really, those options are one which you've actually talked previously about is um, using a, a WordPress plugin if you are on WordPress, such as um, WP Touch Pro. Um, is you know they just came out with the the newer version of that that offers a little bit more flexibility, um, very very low cost to entry. So you know bloggers, content marketers, um, you know much smaller businesses can get in very very easily using a tool like that if they're on WordPress. Um, I think for content based businesses, so again uh, bloggers, um, mediapreneurs, um, you know you look at. New York Times, Smashing Magazine, sites like that, um, those lend themselves towards responsive design, uh, which I know you've previously chatted about um, with with Jamie. Um, So responsive design, I think for content marketers or content-based sites, rather, um, responsive is best because the intent of the person visiting your site is to consume your content. And, you know, usually you're not driving them 
always, you know, majority of the time you're driving them to a specific content piece, an article, a post versus, you know, some sort of conversion page where, you know, it's very important for you to create a good first impression where, you know, they can kind of navigate your site and get all the content that they're looking for, um, you know, in that experience, in that moment. So responsive actually lends itself best to, to those sorts of sites. Um, when I look at retail, local businesses, any, any sort of site that has a, or a business that has like a local presence, brick and mortar, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of commerce going on. Um, I, I definitely think having a separate mobile site. So where you'd see something where it's like an M dot and then the domain, um, being a lot more, uh, realistic, at least right now, um, for people to implement. Uh, and you could use, there's a handful of solutions out there. Um, you know, s- services like Duda Mobile or Blue Train Mobile are two of my favorites, actually, that, you know, ha- kind of have a, a content management system similar to WordPress where you can customize your own mobile site. Greg, what and was that first one? Duda Mobile, D U D A. And the other one was what? Blue Train Mobile. Okay. And both of those, um, Duda Mobile would definitely be more towards, I would say, a small business owner, you know, maybe a, a small restaurant, salon, coffee shop. Blue Train Mobile gets, has a little bit more advanced features. Um, you know, they actually have a lot of university clients that use their platform. But essentially, it's a, a CMS where, you know, there's a dashboard where you can kind of cr- drag and drop, create your site, you know, using different graphics, add new pages, add the content, you know, bring in RSS feeds if, say, if you have a blog that really allow you to create a very nice looking mobile optimized site. And, you know, then you would just add your redirect code um, on your main site that would redirect them to that M dot. So um, the reason I kind of separate the two approaches, um, again, goes back to that, in- that intent. So if you're looking um, you know, at, at businesses that have brick-and-mortar locations, retail, uh, things like that, the, when someone's searching for you, uh, you know, they have a completely different intent than someone that's maybe going to find a blog post, right? So you know, if I'm looking for um, Chinese food, I already have in my head – you know, I most likely Googled Chinese food near me or Chinese food Denver because that's where I'm at. So I already kind of know that I want Chinese food or, or at least interested in Chinese food. So now I'm going to be presented with a handful of these options. Most likely I want to call that place and place an order for pickup or find where that place is so I can go there and maybe even get directions. So my intent, I already, you know, I'm ready to convert. So as a business owner, I want to make sure that I can let that person convert as fast as possible. So, you know, a big click to call button or find us, which, you know, provides directions on maybe Google Maps or something like that, you know, really gives businesses that have that local presence an advantage to turn that potential prospect or that searcher into a customer within minutes. Um, Whereas again, with a content-based business, you know, I might be just going to learn while I'm waiting in line at the DMV or something and, you know, reading a post, you know, on social media examiner where, you know, I'm not in the mind state of I'm going to buy something right now. I'm killing time. I'm reading something. I'm educating myself, um, you know, in that moment. So, um, Responsive design definitely will be something that I think all businesses, regardless of your type, need to be looking at moving forward. Um, I know I talked to some really large retailers that are trying to implement responsive design right now. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of challenges behind that. But I think for right now in the moment, um, we obviously can't forget about it or at least not pay attention to responsive. But, you know, definitely try to provide the best and the best experience, you know, from a mobile device for your customer based on what their intent might be. Okay, so let's uh, let's explore this a little bit. First, let me summarize. Um, what I hear you saying is that there's three different types of um, ways, if you will, that you can um, make your website mobile. Uh, option number one is to add some sort of a plugin, especially in the case of WordPress, that essentially just takes the existing content and, and repurposes it into a mobile platform, like what the WP Touch and the WP Touch Pro does, which is a plugin for WordPress. Option number two is to redesign the website to be a responsive design site, which means that uh, it's intelligent enough to know the size of the screen and to essentially reformat stuff on the fly so that it looks just as good uh, for someone with a 27-inch iMac like me or someone who's on an iPhone. And then the third option is to actually design a separate um, site 
that um, when someone comes to your website, it knows that they are a mobile user and it routes them to like m.yourdomain.com. And that site is typically a uh, dumbed down, if you pardon the, the language here, version of your site that is customized for the unique needs of mobile. Is that, I want to dig deeper, but is that kind of the high level of what I hear you saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. High level. So um, what about for people that don't have a WordPress site, um, but just have a, a regular website? Is there other services like WP Touch Pro that somehow can just very easily um, uh, take the site and make it into something without changing the URL? Or is it pretty much unique to WordPress? Uh, so I don't, I personally use WordPress. Um, and actually most of the people that I talk to use WordPress, but I do, I don't know the exact names, but I know that Joomla and, uh, I believe Drupal offer similar kind of plug and play solutions that will kind of make your kind of give you that, um, WordPress WP touch feel. Gotcha. Now on the responsive design front, I'm assuming that's perhaps one of the most complicated things to implement because you're talking about a complete overhaul of the design, right? Yeah, and again, depending on the business, I mean, you know, for maybe a blogger, you know, it could actually be a fairly easy transition by, you know, purchasing like a premium responsive theme, you know? Yeah, talk about that a little bit. What are some of the options there? Yeah, so, I mean, my site, um, Mobile Mixed, is off of uh, StudioPress, a StudioPress premium responsive theme, um, by the folks over at Copyblogger. Um, but I mean, they have, you know, if you go to Theme Forest or Mojo Themes and just do a search for responsive, you will see endless amounts of responsive based themes, you know, for either WordPress or just HTML, um, or, you know, whatever platform you're on, they usually have templates or themes that you could purchase for anywhere from, you know, 30 to 70 bucks. And, you know, start dropping in your content and have a responsive, you know, a responsive site essentially out of the box. What's the downside um, to responsive design, if anything? Uh, ooh, uh, I would say that the, the main one is uh, performance. Um, so, you know, the, the challenge with some of these themes that are out there and, and, and whatnot, where you start having to use third-party plugins, um, you know, it, it actually makes the site fairly heavy because um, for, in most cases, when you use responsive design, it's using CSS to kind of, you know, shift around the content, show a different layout. Um, and you're not necessarily showing some of the content areas, but in some cases, depending on how the site is built, you're still loading them. So it could actually slow down your site if you have tons of images or, you know, really heavy, heavy pages, um, you know, you could start seeing performance issues. So, you know, anyone that's doing responsive or, you know, building that out, I would actively test um, on, on various devices to see how long it takes for your site to load because, you know, mobile users, unfortunately, do not have the patience. Um, I believe Google had a study that said, you know, if your site doesn't load within five seconds, um, you know, the odds of that customer um, leaving is like around 40 some odd to 50%, like between 40 and 50%. So, uh, you know, you really don't want to have them waiting super long just because you've built out a responsive solution. Excellent. Um, Now on the separate mobile site, uh, one of the things that marketers might be thinking about right now is the SEO limitations of having a, a subdomain like a mobile.socialmediaexaminer.com. Can you speak to that a little bit? Is that a problem? Um, is SEO less of an issue and it's more really about servicing the needs of mobile users? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so that's actually a, a really good question. I just spoke on a panel about this the other week here locally. And um, so, well, first disclaimer, I'm not an SEO person. Um, but uh, in the people that I've talked to on my own podcast, you know, SEO experts that I talked to, um, you know, a big kind of recent event, Google came out and said, you know, we prefer responsive design. And a lot of people, bloggers included, took that to believe that that means responsive is better for you as an SEO perspective. Whereas if you actually read that full, um, that full release, they actually go on to say that Ultimately, they know which experience would be best for their customers. So even if you did have an M dot, they're not they're not um, you know decreasing your SEO value because you're giving them an M dot if that actually is giving that user the best experience. So um, Google before that announcement 
um, released or announced this thing called switchboard tags. And not to get too technical, but basically switchboard tags allows Google to know, even if you do have an MDOT, that um, you're still trying to drive a user to a mobile-optimized experience of your site. And because of that, they will direct them there. And because of that, they're not going to you know, lower your SEO rankings or value because of that. Um, so really, at the end of the day, it, you know, from what I've read and found, it shouldn't. Now, it shouldn't affect your SEO rankings. Now, if your SEO, you know, your, your SEO strategy before you even went responsive was already poor, Obviously, going responsive isn't going to do anything to make make it that much better. So, you know, a lot of people talk about not having the appropriate, you know, site architecture in place um, and site maps and all that stuff that could actually be, uh, uh, you know, a limiting factor in your SEO value before you even do responsive. So, if you just make responsive and you don't change any of those other things that were affecting your SEO value, you know, pr- uh, previously, then you're still going to have the same exact issues. So, um, you know, from I would say. It, it really shouldn't, um, as long as you're providing the user with the best possible experience based on the device they're coming on. Cool. Um, Greg, earlier you mentioned a couple things that prompt my next question um, when it comes to uni- user interface ideas. Um, what are some user interface ideas that we need to be thinking about as marketers for mobile users? And particularly, I want you to key in on click-to-call and maps and any other kind of things that come to mind. But you mentioned click-to-call and maps. How you know how do how do we somehow make that work so that it works for both the desktop user and, and the uh, you know the mobile user, so to speak? Yeah. So um, ultimately, when it comes to people trying to find you know a specific location, click to call and you know find with maps obviously makes a little bit more sense than if you're you know New York Times. Um, so you know a lot of the a lot of you know, fast food restaurant chains and stuff like that. If you ever go to one of their sites from a mobile device, you'll see that they very, they they very prominently focus. You know, find find a location, store locators, and things like that. So making sure those buttons are above the fold. So that means really anywhere from 100 to 150 pixels. Um, you know, the first 100, 150 pixels. From the top. Um, having yeah, on the top having you know either a button for a click to call or you know find us or find a store near you um, would be you know in your best interest. Um, if you're using any sort of links or buttons, um, you know one thing I see you know if people have a lot of links within a blog post, for example, um, you know multiple links within a few sentences, they could actually have a, you know, a tough time with their thumb, you know, trying to click the appropriate link. Mm. Um, so sort of that fat finger, you know, concept of, you know, I'm trying to click one, but because my thumb is too big, it, it hits the wrong link. Um, so sort of best practice on button size, at least, is um, f- at least 44 by 44 pixels. Uh, for for any sort of button when it's on a mobile device, and then if you are using sort of text links, really make sure there's some spacing and padding, uh, you know, within that, so that you know someone's not misclicking. I would say are kind of the the key uh, user interface considerations. Now, um, the click to call thing is it just a matter of like, is there some sort of a special URL you put in there, that, and and the browser knows to automatically dial? Sure. Um, so. Um, Sort of like a, a mail to if you've ever yep. used one of those. It's um they're, they're very similar to that. I believe it's actually tell t e l equals and then the and then the number and then based on the based on the browser and the device, um you know if you're obviously on an iPhone, it will you know you'll get that little pop up that says you know are you sure you want to call and it'll show the number and you can click OK or cancel. So it's super simple to implement. Um you know and area really just, code should be in there. I'm imagining right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The full phone number. Um, should be in there. What about maps? Um, is there some sort of simple way to implement a map? Um, does Google have a little widget or something? Yep, you can use Google Embed Code. Um, is is pretty simple. I mean, if you're trying to go above and beyond, and you know, if you're like a, a super large retailer or something, um, you know, you might want to use a little bit more of a of, of a custom solution. But I mean, for you know, really just getting someone to the directions by adding the Google Embed Code, you'll see the map on your site. And you'll be able to, from there, obviously, uh, you know, request directions, which would actually then take you onto a new uh, new page within your mobile browser, which would actually just be Google's mobile uh, uh, Google Maps, um, m.google Maps, or whatever their URL is. 
Um, Greg, I, I do have a question that I want to play for you uh, from one of our callers. And sure. um, it's specifically about uh, mobile apps, which we have not talked about yet. So let's play the question and then get your take on mobile apps and then you know your quick take on whether or not mobile apps are even worth it. And then if you do have a mobile app, um, you know how to answer this guy's question. So hang tight as I play this for you right now. Sure. Hi, this is Ben Greenfield from bengreenfieldfitness.com. I recently launched a phone app, and what I'd like to hear from Social Media Examiner is how I can grow the knowledge of and promote that phone app via my existing social media channels, like my blog, Facebook, Twitter, etc., what I'm looking for are some of the best ways to engage my audience to download the app and start to use it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts and advice on this. I recently discovered your podcast and absolutely love it. Keep up the great work and thanks. So what are your thoughts on that, Greg? Sure. So I would, I would tell Ben that um, one, start looking, obviously you're talking about promoting it via social. So look at your existing assets. Um, you know, if you have an email list, um, you know, depending on how big your, you know, your social following is, um, if you're on Facebook, you can use the Facebook app, download, install ad units, um, which are extremely effective. Um, so you could target individuals that have, um, you know, interests or other, you know, if you know your customer follows specific brands or things like that, or specific podcasts like social media examiner, you could actually create app install units where it's essentially like an advertisement within Facebook that literally drives them to download your application. Um, oh, so cool. definitely would look into, definitely would look into that. Um, but really, you know, just how would you, I would ask you, I would ask you, how do you promote everything else that you do? I mean, if you're, I'm not sure if you have a brick and mortar location, Ben, but, um, you know, if you're, if you're an online kind of, you know, health and fitness coach or something like that, where a lot of your business is online, you know, I would start creating some sort of graphics that really draw um, and capture, you know, people's attention when they're, you know, browsing through Facebook or on Twitter or whatnot, where they can kind of quickly see maybe there's like a highlight of a specific feature that your app offers. Um, hopefully your app offers some sort of, you know, value and utility to your audience in the first place. So as long as the product is, is good and helpful and solid, um, you know, that should be, you know, very, you know, very critical and obviously promoting it. But I would use customer testimonials, integrate those into people that are already using it. So I'd get your existing audience your existing customers to start using the app, give you feedback, maybe incorporate that into some graphics that are on uh, Facebook for sort of social proof, um, and then obviously promoting that to your email list. And if you do have a physical location, I would incorporate signage um, within your physical location as well. Okay, so now let's address the big question in the room, which is should we do a mobile app instead of a mobile-optimized website? Or in addition, what are your thoughts? Uh, so my thought is never start with an app. Um, you should always start with a mobile website, mainly because with all the places that you're, you know, you're currently engaging, like we talked about, you know, how much, how many people use or check email from their mobile phone, social search, you know, podcasting, all that stuff, people are going to end up on your site first and foremost. So having that be mobile optimized will be, um, you know, much more critical in your success. Uh, I think what I see a, a big mistake for people doing is making an app that just repurposes all of their website content. So I highly urge you to not do that and look at your app as an opportunity to provide a specific value uh, utility to your core, most loyal customer. And you know the, the biggest challenge with most people that dive into apps is that after about six months, people stop using them and stop coming back because there's really no... There's no there's no incentive or reason for me to you know continually interact with that app ongoing, which is why you know social apps and news apps are the most frequently used um, because they offer utility and they allow me to connect with everyone on an ongoing basis. So I get a lot of value out of that. So really make sure that when you do create an app, that it goes above and beyond. I would say what your current site offers and uh, focuses on that core core customer. Do you have any examples of apps that you think are really well done that uh, you might want to direct people to off the top of your head? Yeah. So um, a couple, actually, I would say, you know, from, if you want to look at a big brand who I think is doing it really, really well, um, Walmart actually has an amazing app. And for anyone that, you know, at least downloads the app, I would challenge you to look at the app while you're in your house 
and then walk into a Walmart with the app. Because mm. when you walk into Walmart with, an, with their app, it actually senses that you're within one of their locations and presents a whole new set of features that will actually help enhance your in-store experience. Wow. So, um, and actually Apple, the Apple App Store does this too, and I just used it. So if you're an Apple customer, which sounds like a lot of your listeners are, download the Apple Store app do the exact same thing. Look at how you can browse products while you're at home. And when you walk into a store, you'll see a little a little slider slide up over the main navigation and you'll have an option to use their Easy Pay where they where you can scan their barcode and you can actually check out using your iTunes um, account that's tied to your device without ever even talking to a sales associate. So I walked in, grabbed a, a magic trackpad, scanned the, scanned the QR code. It said, would you like to pay? I said, yes. I got my receipt right to my, my email, which is tied to my iTunes account. And I walked right out of the store, never talked to anybody. And it was super seamless. But all of that functionality came about just because it knew I was in the store. I don't see all that stuff in my face when I'm at home. I just get to browse. So you know, leveraging location is critical um, for enhancing that in-store experience. So those two are great. And then sort of a, a smaller size business, I would say, is um, I'm not sure if your audience follows a guy by the name of Ramit Sethi. He owns a site called IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com. And he really helps people um, you know, kind of get their dream job, start earning money on the side. And one of the things he frequently does is talk about these, he, he creates these scripts that people can use to negotiate, um, you know, their credit card bill or their credit card interest rates down or, you know, close that job, uh, you, know, you know, get a job offer. So what he did was he created an app called Negotiate It. And he had a free version, which I think offered like three or five scripts, the most common scripts, you know, how to lower your credit card interest. Um, and I forget the other two. And then he has a paid version for $4.99 that has hundreds of scripts that you can use for various situations in your life where, you know, car insurance, your cable bill, um, you know, a, a speeding ticket or, you know, a late credit card payment, you know, all these different scenarios he actually provides you word-for-word scripts that he, he and his students have used to negotiate their, their rates, you know, their payments, all of those things. Um, so that, you know, that's just one little aspect of what his site talks about. But he made an app about it because it's something that someone can use on a daily basis, almost daily, at least weekly basis you know, in their life that will tr- deliver tremendous value. Greg, uh, since I asked about mobile apps, I may as well ask about mobile websites that you think, or websites that are mobilized that uh, might be some good role models for folks to take a look at. Sure. So, you know, kind of the both ends of the spectrum I would look at from a responsive standpoint. Um, you know, if you're looking for retail, um, Burton, um, the snowboard snowboards, um, they just kind of released their responsive solution, which is super sleek. Um, but, you know, I, for, from a content perspective, New York Times. How do you spell Burton? Just real quick. Burton is B-U-R-T-O-N. Okay, cool. Um, from content perspective, Boston Globe, Smashy Magazine are really good examples. Um, if you're looking for a separate, kind of that M-dot uh, solution, um, I would look to um, a site like uh, Brookstone. Have you ever heard of Brookstone? Oh, yeah. Um, so Brookstone's actually a, an interesting use case. Um, I'm not sure if we're going back to tablet, but they actually have an M dot site for smartphone users and a T dot site if they notice you're coming from a tablet. Oh, we never so they, did. We never did address the tablet. So what is? <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. So what are they doing differently on the tablet that they're not doing on the desktop? So the interesting thing with Brookstone is, and I actually had their head of conversion on my podcast talking about this very thing. They noticed that. All of their tablet traffic was not only coming from an iPad, but it was coming very late in the evening. I think it was, you know, the, the peak was like 10 p.m. of iPad usage. And they noticed a trend in the number of products or the type of products that were being purchased from tablet. And they noticed that a lot of iPad accessories were being purchased. And they noticed a lot of, um, you know, pillows and things related to, you know, your sleeping experience were being purchased. So... Mm. What they did was, if you visit their tablet site, so if you just visit brookstone.com from your iPad and then even your smartphone simultaneously looking at both at the same time, you'll notice that they bring a whole set of navigation or at least kind of advertising units, if you will, um, 
promoting their iPad accessories and their pillows and all the you know the little sort of gadgets that you would use to maybe sleep better, like the you know eye covers and things like that, because they saw just a trend of so many people typically buy you know in the evening. So I mean, I just started thinking about okay, well, I'm on my iPad, I'm in my bed before I go to sleep, maybe consuming some content, and I'm sitting there saying, okay, my pillow, I really need a new pillow. Go to Brookstone and someone buys a pillow right there from their tablet. They they just saw that behavior, so they Brilliant. made yeah they made it they made it so much easier. They made it a slam dunk for anyone who's now in that situation. And I guess they saw enough of that that they you know really wanted to make sure it was called out. And you know so just things like that that you know would might steer you one direction or another. Uh, I think can really make a big difference if you're trying to convert someone. Greg, um, you are like a well of knowledge, uh, a deep well of knowledge. Um, thank you so much. But before um, we end, I do want to give folks an opportunity to uh, find out more about you and your podcast. Um, where would you want to send them uh, or multiple places that you want to send them? Sure. So appreciate that. And um, you could find me at mobilemixed.com. That's mobile, M-I-X-E-D.com. And from there, you can get to the podcast and everything. It's on iTunes and, and Stitcher Radio. And if you'd like to connect on Twitter, it's at G-J Hickman, H-I-C-K-M-A-N. Greg, thank you so much for um, illuminating me and, and our listeners on the amazing wide and open opportunities in the mobile marketing world. Well, I had a great time. I really appreciate it. Wow. That's all I can say. Really, really crazy stuff from Greg Hickman. He seriously knows mobile. Be sure to check out his podcast, Mobile Mixed, and visit his website, mobilemix.com, if you want to learn a lot more. Honestly, I believe from the technical side of things, he is one of the most knowledgeable folks out there on the mobile marketing frontier. Um, if there was anything that we mentioned in today's show that you missed, the great news is you can catch the show notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 46. You can also leave comments there. Also, um, if you're a regular listener to the podcast and you haven't yet gone over to iTunes, I would love it if you would consider giving us a rating and or a review. You can do that by visiting socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes. Uh, the real value proposition for us there is uh, the more ratings and reviews we get, the more iTunes shares our podcast with others, and it just allows more people to benefit from the show. Well, this does bring us to the end of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. Can you believe it? We're already done. Oh, it's so sad to leave you, but I'll be back next Friday. I am your host, Michael Stelzner. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day, and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner, hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored podcast.